to be. And uh, so Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, begins about 13 years after Ezra has made it to Jerusalem. And so about a 13-year period has happened. And so if you are here tonight and you think back over the last 13 years, a lot has changed probably in the last 13 years for you individually, uh, you as a family, uh, as a nation, uh, as a church. Uh, 13 years is, is, is quite a substantial amount of time. And tonight, I know you can't see these, but um, after it's over, uh, I have some uh, pictures of what Jerusalem would have looked like. And it will be very important as we go through the book of Nehemiah, as we talk about building walls and those things. So this first picture is uh, when King David was king. And I know, you, like I said, you can't see it. But then we have when Solomon was king. And so you see a whole northern aspect that's been added, which is the temple and the temple mount. And then third and finally, we have a picture which is much smaller of what it would have been like in Jerusalem when Nehemiah was there. Uh, there is a whole section of the city that they did not rebuild. The walls were built in closer than when they were before. And so uh, that is interesting, significant. You might think it's just dumb, but whatever. Uh, but you are welcome to look at those uh, after church is over. I think it will help you uh, to really think about what's going on here. Um, Nehemiah means the Lord has comforted. And I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, most names have a meaning behind them. I want to thank my parents for naming me Jacob because it means deceiver. But, uh, you know, I appreciate that, Mom. But uh, but there was a guy on TV that my dad liked. Is that right? Uh, the commercial? No? Okay. Oh, motorcycle racer, excuse me. So, but uh, anyway, I appreciate the in-depth study. But no, I'm teasing. But, uh, you know. So, it means the Lord has comforted. I think this is a thing. Because it starts out and Nehemiah is broken. Nehemiah is broken over the state of what's going on in Jerusalem. You say, well, Jake, we just finished Ezra and the people were repenting and the people were building the temple and things were going well. Uh, but something had happened. They didn't finish what they were called to do. Uh, the walls around the city of Jerusalem had been started, if you remember, from Ezra chapter 4, but a group of people came and King Xerxes actually sent a letter that said, stop, stop building the walls. And so uh, the walls had been stopped. They had not been completed. And if you know anything about this day and time, walls were very important. Walls were important to the defense of a city. And if you've watched the news lately and seen what war looks like now, uh, walls don't do much. But in this day and age, without planes and tanks and, and cannons and, and all of those things, it was a, Jerusalem was almost impenetrable. And so getting the walls built were very, very important. And so when we start in verse uh, 1, uh, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write down this. Um, God has you in the time that He wants you. Uh, God has you in the time that He wants you. You might say, well, Jake, if I'd have been born 50 years ago, I'd have, I'd have got along a whole lot better. And I think that all the time. I'm a generation or two too late from my way of thinking and the world's. But God has you at the right time 
for what He wants for you. And so you and I have got to stop thinking that, well, it just can't get any worse. What are we going to do? No, you have to start believing that God created you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And He chose to have you born here now at this time. And the same was true for Nehemiah. Starting in verse 1, the Bible says these words. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of, <clears throat> of Kislev in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And so we're at about 444 B.C., and that's the time frame that this was going on. Uh, this would have been probably November or December. And the place that he is at, the citadel at Susa, uh, you probably have heard of the Russian uh, leader uh, by the name of Mr. Putin, and he has multiple palaces, right? You've probably heard of the Queen of England, and she has multiple palaces, and she stays in a certain palace in the summer. This week she just decided she was not going to stay at Buckingham Palace anymore. This was actually the winter retreat for the king. That's where he would have stayed during the winter. And so, Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He is the one that would have tested all of the drinks before uh, the king would have, have drank them. He would have cared for his needs. He would have spent a lot of time with the king. And so, what happens is a group of people have went to Jerusalem. And Hananiah is either uh, Nehemiah's brother, he could be his cousin, he could be a, a nephew. This word means close family member. And what happens is he comes back and he says, what's going on in Jerusalem? I want to know an update of what's going on. And this is interesting because Nehemiah had been born in Babylon. He had never lived in Jerusalem, but yet he had a desire for a home that he had never been to. I don't want you to miss the significance of that. The New Testament says that this world is not our home. And so as God's people, we should have a desire for what home is going to be like. And Nehemiah had a desire for what Jerusalem was like. But he didn't just care about the city, he cared about the people. It says the Jewish remnant. And that word for remnant, as you know, are the promised people. The people that God promised to protect throughout all of His judgment. And this is interesting because God always has a remnant. God promised in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, that there would always be people who know Him and worship Him and love Him. And so tonight I really want you to think about this simple fact that God's promises to you are going to be fulfilled. God is not going to fail in His promises. God is not going to go back on His promises. And so even though they had spent 70 years in slavery... They have spent all this time back in Jerusalem, but yet they face problems and difficulties. And so many times it's easy for us to want to quit. It's easy for us to think that we're the most mistreated group of people in the world. But remember that God's promises are faithful. And so He says in verse 3, right? The time that we are living is what we should focus on for us. In verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned 
with fire. What he says is the people have no way to defend themselves. Really, an army could march right into their homes and take everything from them. And I don't know if you know this or not, but in America, I, I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe that you ought to have the right to defend your home and your property. Uh, I believe that. And, and so if I was to tell you today that all means of protecting yourself are going to be taken from you. I'm not the last couple presidents from the other side, but uh, that's what it would be like to have no defenses, that no locks on your doors. People could come into your home at any time. You would say, wait a second. That is a really bad thing. And in America, we don't think about that so much. In Dagger, I don't lock my vehicles. I have time we don't lock our house. I mean, it's just the way it goes. And I probably should have told that on all Facebook, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, if you can get through the mess, you can have the stuff. But uh, uh, but that mindset of if, if when you go to St. Louis and you drive through East St. Louis or you go to St. Louis and you get out of your car, the first thing you probably do is think, is there anything valuable in my car? And I'm going to what? Lock it. And so what we see here is they're not worried about their stuff being taken. They're worried about people coming in and murdering the people that live in Jerusalem. And there's two things here I want to call your attention to. Um, some people will say, well, Nehemiah was still upset over what happened when, it, when Jerusalem fell. I don't agree with that. I don't think he would still be crying after 85 years on something that had already happened he finds out that even though Ezra had done a great work and the temple had been rebuilt, it still wasn't done. And tonight I want you to think about this in your walk with the Lord, that just because you have accomplished some of the things that God wants from you, it's not time to quit. You say, well, Jake, I've served the Lord for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. But if God still has you here, He still has a purpose for your life. And you and I should want God to use us to finish well in our life serving Him. And so he is, he's broken over this. He, he is uh, weeping. And like I said, you can look back in Ezra 4 and find out why the wall hadn't been built. But I want to show you verse 4. And the second point I have for you tonight is not only should you worry about the time that you were living in to fulfill your purpose, you should have a desire for the things of God. If you are here tonight and you are a Christian, you ought to have a desire for the things of God. Because in verse 4 it says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Now if you remember, Ezra spent chapters 9 and 10 doing what? Weeping. He was weeping over the brokenness of the people, and now Nehemiah is weeping over the consequences of sin. You see, we ought to weep over sin but we also ought to weep over the consequences of sin. And this is important tonight because most of us have probably said, when somebody falls, i seen that coming. We've said it in church. We've said it about politics. We've said it about our enemies. But you and I should never rejoice in the stumbling of someone else that loves God. You say, well, Jake, I disagree with that. That's okay. You can be wrong. There is never a time when God's people should celebrate someone falling into sin. It, it shouldn't. We should have compassion and brokenness for people. I've been in a lot of meetings before and I've heard it said things like this. Well, I knew that church was going to have trouble. Right? I knew as soon as they hired that pastor, they were going to have trouble. You can see the writing on the wall 
But friends, that should not cause us joy. It should break our hearts. We should weep when churches have problems. We should weep and care about people when they have struggles. We should weep and care about families when their children abandon the faith, when there's something going on in their life that's leading them away from God. And so tonight I really want to encourage you to have a heart of compassion, to be compassionate to to others and the situations they're going through. Because it doesn't just say that he sat down and wept. Because all of us can sit down and weep when we're emotional. But look what it says. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so real brokenness is not emotional. Um, Last night um, I was laying in bed and I sleep downstairs and one of the kids was sleeping in, in one corner of the basement and one of them was sleeping here and I think another one was sleeping at the other end of the bed. And, and I was working and Tony had three of them in her bed, I think. And, and uh, Jayla is our six-year-old. And uh, Jayla has for the last few months been talking about wanting to be saved. And I don't know if you know anything about me or not, but I really, I, I don't hinder children getting saved, but I, I ask a lot of hard questions. And my wife said, you do more damage confusing them than, than what it is, but I really want them to know and understand what it is to be saved and what it is to be born again and what it is to find forgiveness. And so as I'm, I'm working on my computer and she's supposed to be going to bed, uh, she's crying. And uh, I looked over and I said, uh, what's wrong, sis? And she goes, Dad, um, Kylie was saved at five and I'm six and I really do feel that God wants me to get saved. And I, and I'll just be honest with you, this is not a, a great parent moment. All right. I'm just telling you the honest truth. I was like, well, you know what? Why don't you go to bed? We'll get up tomorrow. We'll talk about it, you know, thinking like most kids, she'll go to sleep and she'll forget all about it. And, um, and that's a pretty good evidence that they're not ready. And, uh, she said, dad, I, I can't. I just, I can't. And I said, uh, the first question I always ask kids is, uh, so you really think you're a sinner, right? Because most kids are like, oh no. Right, I don't, I don't sin. I don't. And she said, absolutely, Dad. I, I'm a sinner, and I know I sin against God. And, and I was like, well, crap. <laughs> and I don't say that um, to be negative, but my immediate thought is that um, you cannot recognize that you are a sinner on your own. The Bible says the Holy Spirit has to convict you of sin, judgment, and righteousness. And I'm like, uh, well, you know, you probably don't do a lot of bad things. She goes, no, Dad, I'm... I'm a sinner. And I'm like, well, shucks. Uh, I said, well, let's get up and we'll go upstairs and we'll wake up your mom. Uh, her mom wasn't in bed, but she was not happy to get out of bed. Um, uh, and so we, we went into the living room and we began to have this conversation about uh, what is sin and you know what sin is. And she did. And you say, Jake, you start that backwards. I do not think so because you cannot be saved until you realize that you're lost. And most kids just add Jesus to their life. Uh, they want to be baptized, but they don't want to be born again. And so after I, Tony said, Jake, this is, oh, you're making this a lot harder than when I got saved. And I'm like, well, you know, I want to make sure. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, uh, and so we, we established that and then we began to talk about, well, what did, what, did, what, what do you, how are you saved? And she began to talk about the fact that Jesus died upon the cross, that he was buried that he came back to life after three days. And I know that some of you have had children that I've had the privilege of leading to the Lord. And I always ask this question, do you really believe a dead man came back to life? And they always say, well, yes. 
And I always respond, and this might be wrong. If it is, you lead your kids to the Lord, okay? I always say, well, what would you do if I told you that he didn't rise from the dead? And I've had kids say, well, I guess I would believe you. They're not ready. But when a kid says, you're wrong, he raised from the dead, and I believe it. They know. And so I did that to her, just like I do to every child. And she says, Dad, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so I asked her this question. I said, what happens to people who are not saved when they die? And she said, Dad, they go to hell. And I said, if you died right now, where would you go? She said, I would go to hell. And uh, you say, Jake, this is really depressing. I'm getting to the good part. <laughs> but I just believe this. I believe too many kids are shoved through the line, shoved through the water, and it, they don't have a clue. Okay? Um, I don't hinder kids because I I've, I've saw what Jesus said about don't hinder the children. Um, and so we asked her if she was ready to be saved, to ask the Lord to forgive her for sin, to come into her life as Lord or Savior. She said she was. She prayed. Ask the Lord to come into her heart and life and to forgive her for her sins and to give her the new birth. And so uh, we were blessed last night to have that happen. Amen. You say, Jay, man. So you say, Jake, that's the saddest salvation story I have ever heard. <laughs> it's not when you meet with as many adults as I do that don't know. And so, um, uh, you know, but that is something that is very important to us. But, tonight I ask you this question. Um, does it bother you to think about the people that you love that are lost? Those that are not honoring God, that are subject to the ruler of this world. And I say all that because what Nehemiah is weeping over is them physically losing their life. Of them physically coming to harm. But as God's people, we should be much more concerned with the eternal destiny of people. We should be concerned with whether or not someone knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You say, well, Jake, we can't, we can't save them, so what does it matter? Well, Jesus wept when He looked out over Jerusalem and said, as a mother hen, I would love to draw you to Myself, but you are not willing. And so, tonight I ask you this simple question. When was the last time the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of the people you love, the brokenness of the situations that you faced caused you to not just be emotionally upset, but to change your life? You see, for days he mourned and fasted and prayed. Uh, I ask you that question tonight. When was the last time you fasted and prayed for anything. Now, I don't want you to say that tonight out loud, but I ask you that. And what was the last event that caused you to fast and pray? If you remember a few years ago, when Jace Brzezinski was diagnosed with brain cancer, uh, we had three days, 24 hours a day, of prayer and fasting around the clock for him to be healed. Uh, we have done that when Stephen had cancer. Uh, the deacons in the church did that last year in April when I was ready to quit. And so I ask you that, when was the last time 
that you were broken over someone or something and said, God, I want to do business with you. David did it. If you remember in the Old Testament when his child was sick, he fasted and he prayed and sat in sackcloth and ashes. And then when the child died, he got up, washed his face and went on. And so tonight I really want us to think about that because church should be a celebration. And, and Sunday school should be a time of growth and relationships. Uh, and like I said about our child being saved, it's a time of celebration. But never forget, there are seasons of mourning. There are seasons of the things of this world breaking our heart and that we should weep. Thoughts tonight before we jump right in. All right. Starting in verse 5. Then I said, and so this is his prayer. And I think this is important because when the Bible gives you a prayer, like when Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, uh, when we see the uh, 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 Moses in the Old Testament and others praying, we should take notice. But I'm going to have you find some verses here in a minute, and I want you to, to, to just one person can find them and read them here in a second. So if you've got your Bible or your phone, get ready. But it says here, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven. You see, in the verse before, he said God of heaven, which is a Persian term. The Persians said there was one God over heaven. There's a God over the, the crops. There's a, grob, a God over the frogs. There's a God over everything. But when he begins his prayer, he says, Lord, or that word is Yahweh. He is saying, our God, the God of the Old Testament. He is specific in who he prays to. And why is that? Because there's only one God pray to. And you say, well, what about people who pray to Satan or, or pray to false gods? Then they are praying to demons or they are praying to nothing at all. You say, Jake, that's a hard pill to swallow when there are thousands of religions in the world. It might be a big hard pill to swallow, but it's true if you believe the Bible. Yahweh, the Lord of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love. And that word for love means loving kindness that God is going to show love and kindness because it's who He is. With those who love Him and keep His commandments. And I want you to start finding these verses with me, and I'm not going to read them. But what it says is, you have to hear and obey. See, covenants that God make, He is faithful on His end. But if you remember, when He made His covenant with Abraham, He tells him to pack up your stuff and what? Leave the land that you're in. When he makes a covenant with Noah, he says, build the ark. And what? Get in it. God always involves people when he makes a covenant with us. Alright? The covenant is based upon him, but the blessings of those covenants are a hear and obey. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. If someone wants to find that. If someone wants to find Exodus... Chapter 20, verse 6. Someone wants to find Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. And I'm giving you all these because I don't want you to say, well, Jake said that, all right? I want you to hear the Bible says it. If someone could find John chapter 14. If someone could find John chapter 15. If someone could find 1 John chapter 5. That is from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the almost very end. All right, I want you to hear that it's not one verse. It is the theme of Scripture. 
If someone found Luke chapter 6, verse 46, if you would, would you read that for us loud so that all of us who are hearing impaired can hear you? Call me Lord, Lord, and do not tell me what I tell you. What I tell you. Yes. So, so Jesus says, why do you call me Lord if you won't hear and what? Obey. Right? Okay. Exodus chapter 20. Thank you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 6. But showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Hear and what? Obey. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Love Him? That means they hear, love Him, and what? Obey. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Okay. Love, obey. John 14, verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and will Hear, love, obey. John 14, verse 23, if you don't care, Alicia, if you're right there, buy it. Yes. Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Love, obey. John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments, and I did them. Absolutely. 1 John 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, and we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Yep. So, all that is to say, this simple fact. All of us understand that we still sin after we're saved. The Bible says if you say you have no sin, the truth of God is not in you. All right. If you hear someone that says, I have become a person who can live a sinless life, there is no way they can be saved at this point. They might be saved later, but they're not saved now. All right. But what we see in this text is, if you love God, you will hear Him and you will... Obey. Now, I'm going to make a statement, and it might not be popular, but it's what we just saw from Exodus all the way to 1 John. All right? Is that those who know God will hear Him and make an effort to obey Him. You say, well, Jake, I, I said a prayer when I was a kid, and I live my life however I want. I do what I want. I go where I want. And when I die, I am going to heaven. If you start in Exodus and you go all the way through 1 John, that is not what it teaches. If I love God because He first loved me, I might go through seasons of disobedience, right? I understand that I was a prodigal for six years and there was never a time in that six years when I was not under conviction. Not one time, all right? Whether it was 3 o'clock in the morning and I couldn't find my way home, well, it was never a time that I did not know that God loved me and that I was running from where He wanted me to be. Okay? Hear, love, and in each one of those verses talked about obeying or abiding. As a church and as God's people, we have to quit being embarrassed to tell people that if you are going to be a child of God because He is holy, we should be holy. We're embarrassed to tell people that we should live righteous. 
And I think it is because we don't want people to judge us, right? I don't want someone evaluating my life and the mistakes that I make. But tonight, if we are really going to be in covenant with God, we have to understand something. Our salvation does not depend upon our works. But if you have been given the gift of salvation by grace, through faith, Ephesians 2 verse 10, it's our theme for Vacation Bible School this year. Does anybody know what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says? That we were saved and called according to His grace and mercy because we were appointed to do good works. And so God has a purpose for our life. And it is not to get saved and to continue to live in sin. It is not to get saved and continue to think the same way that we used to. When the Spirit of God truly saves a person, and when the Spirit of God truly indwells you, your way of thinking changes, your way of talking changes, your way of living changes. Now, is it gradual sometimes? Absolutely. It's the sanctification process. But I really do believe, and I've, and I've been a pastor here for ten and a half years now almost, all right? I was an associate for a year before that. And the desire to tell people to turn from their sins and to follow Jesus no matter the cost is something that we waver on sometimes. You say, not me, Jake. I would never waver. You wait till it's your grown child. You, you wait till it's your neighbor. You wait till it's your childhood friend. You wait till it's your boss at work who says, well, I'm a Christian. And what you and I need to say is, if you're in covenant with God, do you love Him? And if they say, yes, I love Him, then what does Jesus say? Are you obeying? And so we don't teach perfection. We don't teach self-righteousness like the Pharisees. But I think it's important that when He begins His prayer, He begins to apply the covenant and how He is able to approach Him. We know that we can approach the Father now under the new covenant because we have a high priest, right? Who sympathizes with us in every way. But uh, just stop right there because like I said, you, you might have some thoughts or comments. Okay, so he's talked about the covenant, but now he appeals to who God is. Look what it says in verse 6. Let your ear be attentive, and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Now, we need to stop here because God knows everything. All right? There is not a time that God doesn't know. All right? God has always known. He will always know. He is all places at all time. He is all powerful. And He knows all things. But what the Bible teaches us here is that when we make a request, and I don't understand it all. I don't, I don't understand how it works. But it's kind of like when sin hinders your prayers. Does God still know them? Absolutely. But He does not pay special attention to them. It's kind of like when your kids have drove you nuts all day, right? Mommy, 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 daddy, daddy, blah, 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 whatever, right? It's all day, all day, all day, right? And you're just tired of them, right? And then they come up one more time and it's like, ah! I don't want to listen to you. But then there are other kids who never ask for anything. Right? And when they ask for something, you're like, oh, yes, what, what's going on? God hears, God knows, but yet He is praying here that He would be attentive 
and that his ears would be open. And so, do I believe that God is more aware? No, because you can't be fully aware and then more fully aware. But for whatever reason, the Bible teaches us that sin hinders our prayers, that sin grieves the Holy Spirit, but yet He is appealing here to the fact that God is approachable. And don't miss that, because many times we think that God is not approachable, but yet we know that He is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. One of the most misquoted and misused verses in the book of Romans is talking about when you and I don't know how to pray, when we don't know what to pray. The Bible says the Spirit of God takes those what we cannot say and utters them to the Father. Right? That's what it says in Romans. Now what has been taken from that is that you just need to utter whatever. That's not what it says. It says the Spirit of God takes what's in my heart when I am too broken to pray, when I am too overwhelmed for the words, and takes the desires of my heart and makes those requests to God. Okay? And that's what we see here from this is we should pray believing that God hears and pays attention. Thoughts, I mean, in, in regards to your prayer life or in, in regards to, to the struggles of prayer. All right. Well, now we see how you and I should pray. He starts there and says, I confess the sins. We Israelite, including myself and my father's ha family, have committed against you. He starts with confession. And friends, every prayer should start out with confession. Father, forgive me. Lord, forgive me of the sins that I know about, that I don't know about, those that I've committed willingly, those that I've com committed unknowingly. Look what it says in verse 7. We have acted very wickedly towards you. Don't miss this. He doesn't just say we've sinned. But it's like I asked Jayla, who have you sinned against? You've not just sinned. You have sinned against God. We sin against God because it's His laws, right? It's His commandments. It's His instruction for us. And, and that's very important tonight. Because when Jesus died on the cross, He took the punishment for our sins, but He took the wrath and judgment of the Father. Because why? The Father cannot allow sin to enter into heaven and into His presence. And so it is our sins against a holy and perfect God that have separated us from God. Decrees and laws you gave your servants, Moses. So he says, we have sinned against you. We have broken your commandments. He acknowledges that they are sinners. And if you and I want to really find a place where God can bless us, we have to start with, Lord, I am a sinner. God, God I have nothing to boast about. God, I need you desperately. Thoughts. So he started, yes, but he is telling God who he is. He's acknowledging God. He is acknowledging who God is, and he's telling God what should have happened. But he begins when he is talking about the response from us. It is, we have broken your commandments. So he's acknowledging, God, you are holy and perfect and faithful and true, and then we... So my response when I'm praying, yes, I thank God for who He is and what He does. Yes. 
Absolutely, yes. But when I begin to talk about who I am, right? I, I've been in enough prayer meetings to hear people say, well, pray for so-and-so and pray for so-and-so. And, and what we have to start with is, here I am, Lord. Yeah, I have to be right with God first before I make intercession on behalf of other people. And that's what he's doing here. He is starting with God. I need forgiveness before I ask you for anything. And that's probably the best way to say that, right? He praises. He asks for forgiveness before he begins to really say what he needs and what they need. Because in verse, verse 8, he says, remember the instructions. He's saying, now God, I've admitted, I've acknowledged, but don't forget who you are and what you promised to do. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, and I think this is wonderful, there is no place you can go that if you don't repent and return that God can't bring you home. That's what he's talking about geographically here for the nation of Israel, but we know spiritually that is applicable to us, right? I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He says, you told us the, the, the consequences of our sin. What would happen? But look in verse 10, and then I'm going to shut down because we are running out of time. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed. That word for redeemed means bought back. By your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. And so he says, I need your favor in doing the task that you've asked me to do. But that whole time, he doesn't start with, God, this is what I need. Right? How most prayers are, right? Lord, I need money, I need fame, I need wealth, I need full head of hair, whatever it is, right? That's how most people pray, but it's not that way. It's backwards. After we've thanked God, after we've acknowledged God, after we've asked for forgiveness, after we've recognized who He is and His faithfulness, then we approach Him with our request. And so we see here how to pray we see how to prepare to do what God has called you to do. So don't miss that. How to pray and how to prepare for what God has called you to do because tonight God has called all of us to do something. And it's going to be something that is above your ability because if you only do things that you can do on your own, guess who gets the credit? You do. And so that's why I pray that God would use 10 Mile to do God-sized miracles to do God-sized works. I don't want it to be explained, well, 10 Mile put a roof on this house and 10 Mile bust in these kids. And, and, and I don't want that. Enough money, you can do anything. But when God begins to save or, or God begins to reconcile relationships or God begins to heal the sick or God begins to, to do... Those are things that only He can do. And that's what I want. That's what I want to be a part of as an individual. That's what I want my family to be a part of. And that's what I want us to be a part of 
as a church. And so, thoughts, questions, disagreements. Um, Nehemiah chapter 1. Apparently it's me because I missed church two weeks ago, as you know, and I want to thank Larry for filling in on Sunday night and Brian on Sunday morning, but Brad taught my Sunday school class for me. And first thing I hear when I get back to work on Monday is we had such a good Sunday school class. Everybody talked. I was like, really? It was just a good lesson. Yeah. So now my teaching's bad and my personality is the problem. I said, I can't get them to even say a word. They needed help. So I'm going to periodically start taking off Wednesday nights and just sit back and watch through the door and watch you all talk. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, but it's me. I've, I've, I've found out it's me. I am the problem in this relationship. So. You just teach so well. Oh, it's getting deep in here now. <laughs> Thank you for that encouraging word. How can we pray for you? How can we celebrate with you what God has done in your life this week.